Good morning. Good morning. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor and one of the elders here at the church. You've already seen a couple of the other elders. And uh, we're very glad that you're here with us today. If you're visiting, could you turn me down just a hair? Uh, If you're visiting with us, thank you so much. As James said, we have, I don't know, eight or ten families out at camping this weekend. and, And so it's always fun when we see new faces to come in and fill the seats. Last week was amazing, right? Were you here last week? If you were here last week, raise your hand. My goodness, all the baptisms and what God did and Jason and Joyce and Elizabeth and Christopher and Waylon and Megan and in Samuel. So just a blessing. And we're going to be doing another baptism in November. So if the Lord is stirring in your heart and you're desiring to follow him in baptism, uh, I really encourage you to speak to your home group leader Uh, or the person that's discipling you. And if you don't have one of those connections, you can certainly come see me and we'll see what we can do to help you with that. If you have your Bibles or devices, I'd like for you to take them and open them to the book of Acts. Uh, We've been looking at the book of Acts for the last several weeks, months, I guess now. We may be here for a while, but uh, probably not. Acts 12 is where we're going to go. And I actually realized I hadn't spoken the last... It's been three weeks since I've spoken, so... I'm a little nervous today, so whew, whew, I, hope, I hope I'll do okay. Uh, and we have our kids in this morning because on our communion Sundays, we, we have our kids stay in our service to participate. And they did such a great job last week, and I know they're going to do a great job this week, and it's the parents I'm worried about. So just, you know, no crying parents and no temper tantrums. Okay, have you ever heard someone say, prayer changes me more than it changes my circumstances? Yeah, I've, I've said something pretty similar to that. Prayer changes me even more than it changes my circumstances. But I want to be careful when I say that because I don't know that it fully captures the scope and purpose of prayer because prayer does change things. Well, there weren't many amens there. Prayer does change things. I certainly want to be changed, and I need to be changed, and I'm grateful for that process, but I also want God to change things for me, and change my circumstances, and change my situation. It's been said that faith can move a mountain, but prayer moves God. And I think that's amazing when you realize that prayer actually moves the very heart of God. It doesn't matter whether my prayer is is powerful or feeble. When it's sincere before the Lord, he's moved. And that, that really is amazing. Some might wonder why we should ask God for things in prayer at all. If he already knows what we need, why should we have to ask? But simply put, God likes to be asked. We like it when our kids ask us for things that we know, we already know they need them, But there's something about their asking that does something for us. It enhances our relationship. It deepens our relationship. P.T. Forsyth said, love loves to be told what it knows already. It wants to be asked for what it longs to give. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. God likes for us to ask. He likes to give. He wants us to be changed, 
but he wants to change things for us. Acts 12 is one of those times when they asked, and the Lord answered. And it shows how we are to be people who are prayerful, who are earnestly praying, and who are expecting God to do something. You see, we don't just read this book because it was pertinent to them at the time. We read this book because it is to be a roadmap for how we are to live today. And so read along with me. We're going to read pretty much the whole chapter. There's going to be a lot of verses, a lot of scripture. You can look at the screen if you'd like. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And then he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized them, he put him, when he had seized him, excuse me, he put him in prison, delivering over him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him up to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. This is happening about 12 years after the Passover that Jesus shared with his disciples on the night before he was crucified. 12 years. And since that time, the church has certainly seen its share of persecution, like when Stephen was martyred. Pretty serious time. It's caused scattering of many of the believers in Jerusalem to all sorts of places. We talked about that, where Philip went out and others went out, and God used even the scattering to accomplish his will. But since the time of Saul's conversion, who was one of the chief persecutors of the church, when he was converted on the road to Damascus, after that time, things kind of settled down. And we read in, in Acts 9 that actually there was peace among them, and, they, and it, it caused great multiplication to occur. So I don't know if they had ebbs and flows of persecution throughout this time. I don't know if they saw other things that we don't have recorded in Scripture. But whatever the case may be, now, 12 years later, after Jesus has ascended to be with the Father, they have had a change in their circumstances. And Herod, Herod is doing some pretty evil things. And he has taken James, the brother of John. You remember James and John, they were called sons of thunder. They're probably the two youngest of the disciples, maybe even just teenagers, 15, 14 years old. It's incredible to think. James and John, they were gregarious. They, they were the ones that, <laughs> they're the ones that sent their mom to bid uh, good seating for them in heaven. Uh, would, would you mind, uh, Lord, if you could let my son sit on your, one on the left and one on the right? <laughs> uh, you ever had your mom do your business for you? Uh, but now James, the brother of John, has been martyred. He's the first of the 12 that were killed. It's interesting that his brother John was the last, like bookends, what God was doing with these 12 amazing servants of God, all having interesting stories in the process. James is now gone, and the church is scared. I imagine that they thought, like many other times, like when the disciples, when the, all the 12 apostles had been arrested back in Acts 4, they, they, they were released after being beaten, and they praised God for being able to be persecuted for his namesake. 
And I would imagine that even in this time, they're remembering and thinking, I know James is going to show up any minute, and then they get news that he's dead. And now they've arrested Peter, their very chief leader, and they're thinking, oh no, how does this impact the purposes of God? And so they gather to pray. And God answers in dramatic fashion. Look at verse 6. And now Herod was about to bring him out. On that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. It's amazing that Peter could sleep at all. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's in chains. He's in between, he's about to be put to death. And he's sleeping. Maybe he's exhausted. Maybe he's at peace. Maybe both. He's believing that this is probably the end, but he's going to live every moment and die for the glory of the Lord. But the angel of the Lord shows up and he shines brightly in the cell and he punches him in the side and he's like, wake up, Peter, and the chains fell off. Now, I know that this is a literal happening. It actually happened, but I think it points to a spiritual dynamic for many of us, for all of us. We find ourselves oftentimes held by chains. We find ourselves captive to behavior to thoughts, to philosophies, to things that have bound us. And it takes the Lord showing up and punching us in the side and waking us up and knocking the chains from our arms that the captive would be set free. Look at verse eight. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. I love that the angel is having to help Peter get dressed. He is so disoriented. He thinks this is just another vision like he had on the rooftop in Joppa. And, you know, all of a sudden he's like, Peter, Peter, man, wake up. Wake up, dude. Come on. Put some clothes on. No, 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 you forgot your shoes. Get your shoes. Get your coat. Come on, man. Get yourself together. And so out they go. And Peter is kind of just dazed and disoriented. Look what happens in verse 10. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened for them of its own accord. Now we're used to that when we walk into a department store or we walk into a grocery store. The, open, the doors open automatically for us. But they didn't have that technology at the time. All right? So this gate just swings open. The chains have fallen off. I don't know what's happened to the prisoner, I mean to the guards. Whatever, but gates are opening, chains are falling, and he's just following this angel. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, which tells you he's disoriented by all of this, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. We hear about him later in the book of Acts. Where many were gathered together and were praying, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda 
came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Now, this is quite possibly the most humorous story in all the book of Acts. It's just kind of so funny, right? It's like a sitcom. Um, a servant girl named Rhoda is surprised when she hears Peter's voice, and she's so excited that she leaves him standing out there, just leaves him there. And she runs to tell the others, and Peter's like, really, Rhoda? I heard this is a new phrase. That's the t-shirt. Really, Rhoda? That's what Peter ought to be wearing on his t-shirt. Really, Rhoda? I've kind of been through a lot here, you know, and you're just leaving me out here. You could have opened the gate. But it gets even funnier because all those that she goes to tell that Peter's at the gate don't believe her. What have they been praying for? We pray in faith. We believe you, Lord. You're crazy, girl. You don't know what you're talking about. Look what happens, verse 15. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. That's exactly what they said. We've been praying that Peter would be released from prison, but you're out of your mind. How many times do we do that? Well, she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, ah, it's just his angel. I don't know if it was a guardian angel or if they thought he was already put to death. I don't know what they're thinking, but they think it's an angel that she's out of her mind and Peter keeps knocking. I mean, you talk about, it's like who's on first, what's on second and all that stuff, you know? Peter's still knocking and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, boy, I wish that would work sometimes. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James, not the one that had already been murdered, but James, the half-brother of Jesus, who became the leader of the Jerusalem church, and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. What kind of prayers do we pray? What kind of prayers do we, as his followers, pray? And do we expect them to be answered? Our prayers can be pretty lame sometimes. Uh, we start with platitudes, throw in a few cliches, sprinkle in a whole lot of Father Gods, and think we've covered our bases. But just how earnest are we when we pray? How serious are we when we pray? Are we communicating with God or just talking? Are we speaking a lot of words and really not saying anything at all? And do we even listen? Like those times of prayer, we spend the whole time asking for things, like he's a genie in a bottle. Or we spend the time reminding him of all the good things we've done so that he'll do something for us, like we're putting money into a vending machine. Well, you know, I tithe, Lord. I tithe this this. You know, I went to church. I did these things all for you. And now, when I was in school, one of my favorite prayers was, Lord, I didn't have much time to study. Would you please help me on this test? Maybe the answer to that prayer would have been for me to fail so that I studied better next time. That would have probably done me better than actually getting the A that I didn't deserve. 
And what about when we ask God to bless our food when probably what we need to ask him to do is bless our diet? Lord, you see this double cheeseburger with four pieces of bacon on it and guacamole on top? It's got lettuce and tomato on it, so I got my vegetables, I promise, Lord. Bless it to the nourishment of my body. Lord's like, I don't think you know how this works. What about when we pray for traveling mercies? I don't even know what those are. Do you know what? I don't, I don't know. Maybe God's like, put your seatbelt on. Stop texting while you drive. Those are your traveling mercies. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for those things. I think you get my jest. I'm trying to help you see that a lot of times we are transactional in our prayer and we are not relational. And God's called us into a relationship. Hello. That's God calling. I'm saying go ahead and pray for those things. But if that's the extent of your prayer life, we need to remember how he taught us to pray. It's so much bigger than these things that we might need. It includes things we need. But it's so much bigger than that. How did he say it? Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners and that they may be seen by others. But truly I say to you, they have received their reward. They're looking for notoriety. They're looking for recognition. They want people to think they're spiritual. That's all they're getting. And people don't even really think it. They've received the reward. But when you pray, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray, not to a genie in a bottle, but to your father who is in secret. Relate to me. Have a relation with me, relationship with me. Let me show you who I am. And out of that, I'll give you what you need. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So here's how you should pray. Our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Those are needs. You can pray those. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The truth is our most important prayer focus has to be his kingdom he said another time, seek ye first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, a right relationship with him. And then all these other things will take care of themselves. God will add those to you. But you be kingdom seekers. You relate to me as your father. You come to me not as a transactional situation, not as though I'm a genie in the bottle, but as I'm your dad. When we think back all the way to where these disciples were praying for Peter, I think they prayed this way. I want to believe they prayed this way. I believe that's how we should be praying. They were earnestly praying is what the Bible says. They were earnestly praying. And that word earnest is the same word to use to describe Jesus' prayer 
in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was earnestly praying. It's a Greek word that's kind of a combined word. It's a compound word. It's connected to our word for tension. The first part of it means out, and the second part of it means stretched. Out, stretched, earnest, where it has such depth and conveys intensity, and it, it has great persistence associated with it, and there's focus on him and him alone. There's fervency. The Bible says the fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Where we come to God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we say, God, you're the one to whom we are praying. There is none like you. We know enough to know that it's your power and it's your authority and it's your great love and compassion that is needed in this situation we face. And because of that, we mean business. Because you meant business. We are seriously wanting your will to be done. We're not just going through the motions. We will persist. We will focus. We are earnestly asking you to move this mountain. When Donna was pregnant with our second child, who is sitting over there somewhere, there she is. We had already had one child, and Donna was a labor and delivery nurse. She was working on the floor, the labor delivery floor at Providence Hospital in Mobile, Alabama, when she passed out at 26 or eight weeks, 28 weeks pregnant. And she came to contracting. And there were so serious contractions, they just put her in a bed. And she didn't come home for over four weeks. I had, <laughs> I had a 16-month-old at home to take care of. And Donna had to be in the hospital bed. They were so scared that she was going to have this baby at 28 weeks. They ushered us or escorted, not escorted, they transferred us to South Alabama and the doctors made me sign all sorts of papers. They said when this baby is born, they found out it was a little girl. We didn't know that at the time. They said she'll be about a pound, maybe smaller than your hand. And they made me sign all these forms. And I remember crying, thinking, Lord, what are you going to do for us here? And I remember just earnestly just pouring my heart out to God. This is my child. You gave us a child of promise earnestly asking him to move on our behalf, that his will would be done, yes, but that he would hear my prayer and he would answer it on behalf of us. Donna continued. They used medication. Her contractions never stopped. She was in the hospital for over a month. Then she got to come home for bed rest for another month. Then they finally let her get up. She's still contracting, contracting regularly all the time for over 13 weeks. They had to induce her to have the baby. And now she sits over there, my oldest daughter. God likes it when we earnestly pray. When we invite him into our story and we say, Lord, we have nowhere else to go. You're the one that has the words of life. How is your prayer life? Is it symbolic? Is it transactional? Is it to show off in front of other people? 
Is it to be wordy, thinking the more words we speak, the more he'll answer us? Do you use God as a vending machine or do you pray to him as your father? He's the latter, not the former. Do you pray to get your three wishes out of a genie? Or do you commune with him, sit with him, fellowship him, practice his presence, allowing the Holy Spirit to be operating in our lives, seeking first his kingdom and praying that his will will be done. Are you asleep today? Do you have chains shackled to your arms? Do you need him to nudge you, poke you, strike you in the side, wake you up, have the chains fall off your hands? There are open doors coming our way. This is a season that the Spirit of God is moving. He always has been. But this is a season for us to earnestly pray, to not give up, to don't throw in the towel. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his mercies are new every morning. We need to be a praying people, earnestly praying, and let God open the doors. Amen.